Welcome to Produce Talks. This whole business is based on relationship and friendships. Food is darn simple. What can we do? What are other countries doing? How important it is for industry to be talking about this. We're going back to the farm. We're going back to the whole food. Hello and welcome to our 100th episode of Produce Talks, the CPMA podcast. On this very special edition, we celebrate 100 episodes of Produce Talks, and we will be featuring a roundtable with CPMA chairs, past and present. We are joined by nine active past chairs. I'll tell you, some of whom are the best CPMA chairs we've ever had. And we have with us today our CPMA 2021-2022 chair, Gimilet. This leadership group has witnessed firsthand how the produce industry has evolved over the years, the resilience of our sector, and the future hurdles that we will need to overcome to be successful. Our 10 guests bring well over 100 years of produce experience. Please welcome Prentice Dent, CPMA Chair, 1999. Larry McIntosh, Chair in 2007. Jim Domena, CPMA Chair, 2012. Walt Breeden, 2013 CPMA Chair. Mike Fury, 2015 CPMA Chair. Rick Alcoser, one of our first international chairs in 2017. Les Mallard, 2018 Chair. Arlene Smethers, 2019 CPMA Chair. Davis Young, our current past chair of CPMA who sat in the role in 2020 and our current chair, as I mentioned, Gimilet, for 2021-2022. Welcome, everyone. I'm excited to have a conversation with you. And you know what? Let's take this opportunity to start right at the very beginning of the group with Prentice. Going back to 1999, Prentice, you had the opportunity to actually host one of our last conventions in Banff, which is one of the sites that everyone continually talks about wanting to go back to. Now, back in the day when you were chair, what were a couple of the key issues that you had to deal with? Well, Ron, as you uh, as you know, we had the uh, 1999 was Y2K, which is uh, I think uh, everybody recalls the amount of money that their respective employees spent trying to uh, make sure that computers uh, moved into the new uh, millennium. On top of that, of course, we had uh, we had some changes at CPMA, where uh, of course the uh, management team at CPMA was uh, at that time. Uh, co-managing CHC, so we had the uh, the change in management uh, structure there, so that uh, people like Danny Dempster became full-time employees of uh, CPMA. And of course, that was—I uh, don't know how well that was received by CHC, but uh, it uh, certainly worked out well for the CPMA. You know what, Prentice? I remember back then, and I remember uh, your two organizations. Uh, who continue to work well together, feeling that need to, you know what, let's have dedicated staff. And, you know, I think you're right. I think it was successful for everybody moving forward. You know, but what was really exciting looking back is you were at the front end of launching and changing how we market in Canada around uh, our uh, back then Reach For It program, but you were key in launching a brand new program. Yes, we launched the uh, five to 10 a day. Uh, are you getting enough program? That was in, uh, I'm going to say, uh, June or July in Toronto, then again at our convention in Banff, so that uh, 
again, the focus of CPMA for as long as I can recall was on uh, consumer engagement and get the consumer to eat those five to 10 servings of fresh produce a, a day. You know, and what's really neat is every chair that I've had a chance to work with, you know, you guys work and focus on key areas, but foundationally as a chair for one year and then a past chair after you bridge and you build. And you know what, I, I want to jump in and have a chat here with Larry. Larry, you were chair in 2007 and some of the big focuses for you were building consumption. And, you know, looking back at what Prentice just talked to, launching that five to 10 a day program, you know, did that help when you came on as chair? Oh, absolutely. The five to 10 a day program kind of it refocused us to some degree back then. I mean, I remember having the conversation the Canadian Produce Marketing Association. Produce marketing is in our name. And, and certainly we do lots of things, industry efficiencies, government relations, and the list goes on. But getting consumption up, marketing produce is really our fundamental thing. And five to 10 a day program, which later turned into our program, Half Your Plate, which is a fantastic program we have today is really interesting. So during my term, I really wanted to look at consumption. And I'm just going to give a JF Kennedy quote because I don't get to do that very often, but a rising tide lifts all boats. As our industry sells more produce, Canadians and Americans get healthier, but it also helps our industry and helps all of us. And that's about raising consumption together. And I, I think that is so important. And you want to talk about over 100 years of experience on this panel here, I think you would just say, take Brentus Dent and Jim Domena, you're over 100 just with those two. You, you're probably close to 600 years of uh, experience on this panel. I was just trying to be kind, Larry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you're bang on. And, and you know what? That wealth of experience is amazing to see. And the investment you guys continue and ladies continue to invest in the, uh, in the industry. You know, I want to touch on the comment you made about rising tide float all boats. I always use a slogan, you know what, we're on the side of angels in, uh, in produce and how do you uh, drive change and how do you improve health? You know, how, how can you tell someone to eat more of something in many sectors? You know, it's not really a health benefit, but for the produce industry, it is. And it's exciting to see, you know, the fact that we can drive that message forward. I know that was a big part of your term. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's, we don't have an exact measurement, but my feeling is consumption is going up. People are wanting to be healthier, especially the last 15 months we've been through, people looking at it even more. And we've, we've come a long way since 2007 in, in consumption and in knowledge of fruit and vegetables. And I want to just say in 2007, the first iPhone was introduced. I mean, June 2007, is, and that's, so it's been around 14 years and now smartphones are part of our everyday life and produce and really much of our lives. Well, and you know what's funny, uh, Jim and Apprentice, uh, you, uh, you may remember my predecessor, Danny. And I, when I started in 1998, I remember Danny talking about the big challenges they had going from uh, the fax machine and converting to, you know, uh, a, a more digital environment. And, you know, looking back, going, you know, and moving to the metric system. And you think of those challenges, you know, what are your, some of your thoughts? And maybe I'll throw a quick question out to the whole group. You know, back, if you look at that time period uh, and the influence of the iPhone, the influence of uh, that digital technology, has that really been a big shift? And you know what, what, Jim, why don't we start with you? You know, back in 2012, you know, that was social media, all those things were big during your term. 
you know, that's a, uh, that's a great segue to talk about where we are today and where we came from. You know, I started uh, in the sales desk in 1972 uh, and uh, we used to use uh, telexes and you learn to abbreviate everything. Uh, you know, thanks was TNX and uh, U was the letter U and all that, you know, that was the way we did it because every key punch was a, was a cost. So you really abbreviated your system. And then, uh, like we talked about, then the iPhone came along and then we started to use texting. And now today we just circle back 40 years from where we were. So we're back to doing the same thing. And, and, uh, it's pretty exciting as, as, uh, as you think about way back that long ago. And, uh, it, and it justifies my gray hair, by the way, that, uh, you know, we've been through that whole thing. 2012 was a great Great year for me. I enjoyed it a great deal touring the country and, and uh, acting as chair for CPMA back then. Um, Barack Obama, second uh, second term, uh, exciting stuff. And then CPMA specifically, Ron had, uh, remember, we were restructuring our board, uh, a number of directors on our board and a few things. And how how we got through that uncomfortable time was was delicate for all of us uh, on the call and some of us that uh, that have since retired and moved on. So, uh, you know, great time as, as we talk about 40 or 50 years of, uh, of existence. Well, you know what? And on that same note, it's funny you talk about uh, the number of board members. And for our listeners, you know, CPMA has a board of 32 directors and you may go, oh, my gosh, how unwieldy is that? But it is a very strong reflection of our supply chain. I don't know what you know everyone else on the uh, podcast thinks, but you know I think it's it's stronger to ha- be a community in a larger group, and we definitely hear and see that around the board table and the uh, focus and uh, drive that everyone brings to the table and leaving their hats at the door, so to speak. I think is one of our strengths. You know, it, it, and coming back to that as well, Ron, as we drop down to people on the board, the thirty-two, and trying to encompass all facets of our group, transportation, uh, uh, marketing, uh, growers, it, it gets to be a challenge for the present board, you know, sitting as a past chair, you know, it's a little bit easier for us to sit in the back of the room and, and, and offer up our opinions. But uh, when, uh, when you look at it, it's not that easy a deal to try to make sure that everybody's included in our group and, uh, and still have, uh, you know, have a group that's manageable and 32 is a, is, is a, is a big group, but it's not big enough if you wanted to, you know, catch everybody, but we manage it quite well. So, well, you know what? I want to build on that. I want to jump over to Walt. And you know what, Walt, you're out on the West Coast, you know, you're, uh, you're chair in 2013 and, you know, you had a lot of heavy lifting and you know what? I always go back for chairs coming in. They always say, geez, looking at the group before me and all the work they did. Um, it's, it's pretty daunting. Um, but as Jim was mentioning, that bigger group, the connectivity, you know, how did you see your year and what were some of the benefits or uh, uh, value added pieces that uh, really made the year special? Yeah, thanks, Ron. No, I, what I've always been fascinated with and thought was such a great thing, no matter how size of the board is, they all work together. You know, and that's what I was fascinated with is I could ask past chairs, hey, what do you think of this? And they were always willing to give me some ideas. I mean, I think that that's what's so unique about this is from past to future, we're all working together for the better cause of increasing produce and making it better for everybody. And I think that's what's always been exciting to me. I remember when I went to my first PMA and um, 
Larry and, and, and Jim were down there and um, they both looked at me with a smile on their face and says, don't talk to me. You've got a lot of other people to talk to. So get going. And uh, it was just that kind of friendship for me in, in when I was chair that just made it that much special. And I mean, you also have to look at the fact is that the staff at the CPMA, I mean, they're a professional group. They're there to help you. And um, to be honest with you, it was a real treat to work with them. Thanks, Walt. You know what? And I think you hit it right on the head on, on the camaraderie, but also, um, you know, how we are a team, you know, and even when you look at the competitive environment that this industry functions in, it's impressive. And you know what? That competitive environment, when you start looking at, you know, how do we build the market? How do we build it together? And there's a whole bunch of things I don't think our listeners may be aware of that CPMA does behind the scenes. And when we start building on some of those things, they're fundamental for product to flow across borders to ensure they're not, uh, you know, or that they can actually get out of the field and, and get to the consumer. So I want to jump over to Mike Fury, chair in 2015, because Mike, you really took it on to try and deal with some of those issues that are silent to the members in some ways. Uh, that work behind the scenes that all the volunteers and staff do. Yeah, the thanks, Ron. The uh, the interesting part is the boring part of our business, and that's dealing with the governments and and how we've taken the a CGM group, uh, and it's made up strictly of volunteers, and it's not just board members; it's it's members of the industry, and we meet on a regular basis with the federal government, and we have long conversations, and it seems to take forever to get something done, but at least we're having those conversations, and. And things are, are coming around and we are accomplishing things that our, our members don't even realize that we've, we've helped them with. And, and there's quite a few different things that we've done over the times. Um, you know, we've got things like the change in the air cargo system program, which was one that was causing some grief. And we're having conversations with them on a regular basis. And, and so we've got, you know, when we can get the government in the room and we can set a standard for other pieces of the industries, um, that's pretty cool. And that's what CG, it's, uh, the CGM group has been able to do. But I, re I remember in, in 2015 when I was chair that uh, we went across country. And I remember the look on your face and Sue's face when I said I wanted to do that because we had such a short time frame to put that together. And, and we took all of that information to, to um, our membership at their locations and and we were very fortunate we had we had some people like Oline. um she joined us on those on many of those visits and then we got to winnipeg and and larry uh what he did for us i mean that was like uh we were like rock stars when we showed up there uh just delivering the message just telling us telling our membership what in fact we are doing on their behalf and and it was greatly received and greatly appreciated by me for the support uh, that the the rest of the membership was giving us, and, and I go back, Walt. You're you're right on. This this is this is a group of friends uh, that happen to be in the same industry. But what's interesting is we weren't friends before we got into the industry. It's through it that we get to meet with each other, and we we re realize the the uh, camaraderie, uh, how important that is, and what we've. Uh, been able to accomplish. It, it is amazing. And we should all be very proud of what we've been able to do. And you know what, Mike, you, you mentioned about that camaraderie, but also it's bigger than just Canada. You know, as everyone knows, we rely heavily on a strong domestic market, but without our uh, imported product and our partners from around the world, 
uh, our uh, produce departments would look very different. And know, in 2017 was the first year that we had an international chair. Rick, you know, you joined us from uh, California and I know all chairs travel a lot. As Mike was saying, you know, there's a lot of uh, flights and uh, you got the company of my time, <laughs> maybe more than you want. But uh, you know what? In the end, you spent a lot of time on the road, but you also had a unique time in our trade with the U.S. Yeah, that's uh, that's correct, Ron. Yeah, it was uh, it was an incredible year, 2017. And and, you know, it, it's it started, you know, we, we, we work with each other's, you know, in international level, but we also sort of, uh, one thing that I found out about joining the chair and being part of the CPMA was that I felt that the Canadians were more in tune to U.S. government and, and politics than the U.S. citizens are. And so in 2017 was a very, very unique experience because NAFTA was coming to an end. Uh, and our and our president really referred to it several times as something that he really wanted to blow up and uh, and restart over again. So you know it was a it was a great year to be an American representing Canada in an agreement that had to include the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. It really brought a totally new perspective to not only the view of the U.S. and trading with the U.S., but also how intricate and how important it is that these three countries in North America work together. And the greatest thing is, is that I did find out that all of us wanted to work together. And sometimes it's the politics and politicians and government that do what they can to sometimes prevent that from happening. And so uh, it, it was it was a great opportunity. And yes, traveling you with you was wonderful as well. Uh, but uh, I spent an awful lot of time in airplanes, but I traveled a lot of miles and yeah, it was exciting. You know, what? and uh, I know some of the trips we had over to uh, Germany and some of the other international sites, um, you know, you start to see a lot of uh, innovations, a lot of change. And you know what, with that, I want to jump over to Les because Les had to follow you in, uh, in your footsteps as, uh, as chair in 2018. And Les, you took a route and at the very front end looking at, geez, what do we need to do to change to be competitive and where does innovation sit? Yeah, there was. Um, it's an interesting situation. I mean, we innovation right now is happening at, at an incredible pace, and and when we looked at it, we looked at it. Maybe we were in the produce industry being left behind by the innovative innovative people that are out there. Um, so what I did as I built my year on innovation, I said, uh, you know, how can we look at what innovation can do for the produce industry, and how can we bring innovation into it so that uh, we all can benefit from it. So that year, I mean, we we started the innovation hub where we brought people uh, people in the produce industry together with uh, with companies who who um, who can build with innovation and help the produce industry get to that pace that the whole world is on now. And it's it's very interesting. In fact, it was funny when I was when I was a uh, when I was chair. I mean, blockchain was just becoming, and one of the things we did at our convention was introduce a lot of information on blockchain. Now, I mean, I think Bitcoin was $2,000 a, a Bitcoin. Now it's $60,000. So it's it's amazing how things things go. But I wanted to just talk about one of the things that Mike and Walt said too. Um, the ability to lean on everybody on this uh, call. I mean, I remember when I was uh, chair, 
and being able to talk to past chairs and even people who are going to become chairs to help me understand what it's like, what I need to do. Uh, and that's one thing I'll be grateful for everybody on this call for is, is the ability to just make a call to them and say, hey, uh, or, or as, uh, you know, I would, I would talk to uh, Larry or, or Jim and just say, hey, you know, what, 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 do, what do I need to do? What do I need to do now? And that was the great thing about this. And that's the great thing about getting everybody together, Ron. And I appreciate it just so that I could just say thanks to everybody who, who helped me through um, what I would call one of the best years of my career. Uh, I appreciate that. And you know, what's funny, uh, Les, you know, when you, when you sit down and look at, you know, the, the history and the input and the change, you know, what, Olene, you came in as chair at the very front end in, uh, 2019, where you, you know, we traveled, we, uh, we did a lot of legwork, uh, trying to understand a little bit about flavor. And then next thing you know, you know, we had a whole bunch of other issues thrown at us, at us on top of the beginning of the pandemic. Exciting times, if you look back not too far ago to 2019. I think the biggest piece has come back, Oline, is when you were coming in as chair, you know, we, your big focus was flavor. But then in the middle of it all, plastics was thrown at you. It wasn't on our agenda at the time. No, but it became a huge focus. You're right. And that's when we created the Plastics Working Group which was in itself an absolute amazing accomplishment when you think about it, because we had all retail at the table and a lot of the supply chain for produce as well, including packaging. So that was such an education, I think, for everyone in the room, because I remember the meetings that we had, we all were thinking we were moving down the right path or hoping we were, and we were, we're still being educated. And we're what, two years into that now, Ron, is it two? Oh, and gosh, yeah. we're still learning everything, right? It's still changing and we're still trying to figure it out. And I think we've made leaps and bounds in educating ourselves, but we still have so much work to do. But fascinating in, in the ability to get everyone together and to get everyone to try to collaborate to make the right move for the industry so we don't really cause negative impact if we make changes. So fascinating project. So I want to talk about flavor too, because we started the year out really wanting to focus on flavor. And like I said, we were traveling, you know, looking around the world, where and how is flavor driven? Um, is flavor still a big part of your life? It's the most important part. I'll be very honest with you. And it, it goes, it goes back to basic, you know, driving consumption is what we all want as an industry. But one of the things that I've always wanted to focus on is getting children to eat healthier. I think if you get kids eating healthy, then they maintain that through their, their, you know, their life. And that's going to make everyone healthier for a lot longer. And the point being, how do you get a child to eat something that doesn't taste good? So the better the flavor, you know, the, you know, the nice, if it's got a nice sugar acid ratio, as we would say in the industry, it's going to entice people to eat more fruits and veggies, which is exactly what we want. And, you know, with COVID, Everyone's trying to eat healthier. So it's not going away. I think it's going to become more and more important. And um, one of the things I've noticed is that the breeding companies are all talking about flavor, which to me is the absolute best thing for our industry. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And you know what? It's funny when you look back, you went through that point in time where it was all about the look, right? And we almost, it's almost like flavor was forgotten, but it's running very quickly to get ahead of everything else, which is exciting to see. But you know what? We So we mentioned you were at the front end of your term and you then had to deal with COVID and you handed the reins off to Davis in 2020. 
And Davis, you came in uh, when we had just started as an organization to have to try and understand what our role was within the beginning of the pandemic. You know, what, what are your thoughts? It was a whirlwind. Yeah, it's definitely a very interesting time. And and, and the focus of the year, it started off, you know, my goal was to the bridge and continue to build the bridges that, you know, the foundations that were laid by all the past chairs. And we have heard about, you know, the partnership with the CHC and then the governments and also with uh, with Rick being the chair and, and, you know, deeper relationship with our partners in the U.S. and Mexico. And uh, and then Olin talking about the retail working group on the plastic. So there are already a lot of things happening at a time. And so when the pandemic hit us, I think we just came together naturally. I still remember we, we we emerged from a budgeted deficit of, you know, quite a bit of money to, you know, actually emerge after, you know, 15 months later with a, a, a surplus. And that was because a lot of generosity and support from the uh, members. And this goes beyond, you know, one sector. It's the grow, growers and shippers. It is the distributors. It is the retailers. And everyone continue to support programs from education to advocacy to our uh, convention. And this really speaks to the volume of, you know, the, the generosity, but also the collaborations from all the partners. And I'll give a couple examples really kind of to, to me that stood out uh, for CPMA. It, quickly pivoted and supported the government with the surplus food rescue program and helped purchase and deliver over $9 million of food products and distributed to over 1,100 agencies. And that's not a small uh, project. And and that were done, you know, able to help a lot of vulnerable population with a lot of help from different members in different uh, parts of the country. And then also with the regional PMAs uh, working along with a lot of CPMA members, the, the BC PMA, the Calgary PMA, the QPMA, and many others, also step up and put together a produce bags and deliver to the frontline workers, uh, thousands of those produce bags, and really to say thank you for their sacrifices, for their support during this time. And everyone, uh, we tap on the shoulder, just say, yes, you know, what can I do and how can I help? And I would say that kind of, you know, really highlighted with the uh, convention. I mean, we partnered with the Food Banks of Canada and raised over $16,000 just from, you know, members and individuals. And that continues still today and that has not stopped. So I, I I just feel very fortunate and at the same time no one wants the pandemic but at the same time at a time that I was being part of it and 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 I think the sentiment from everyone on this group is when we needed help from each other and I have reached out for a lot of help um, everyone just been super helpful and I think this friendship and 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 support system will continue past you know many years and that's why uh, our association is as strong as ever and I really feel we are coming out this much stronger than we ever had so uh, very 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 uh, exciting time, I think, for Guy and, 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 you know, coming up, you know, in the next uh, year for, for, the, uh, for the members in the association. Well, and before putting a couple questions to the group, I want to go to our current chair, Guy Millet. And Guy, you know what, you are at a very unique point in time relative to where the association is, where the market is. What are your thoughts? Where do you think we're going to go? Well, Ron, um, we can talk about future, but right now, the future may be to come back at level we were a few years ago. Socially, we're definitely stepped down. The last couple of years has been extremely difficult, um, and, and it's it changed the game completely. Not traveling maybe may have been a big saving in expenses for a lot of companies, and many of them said not meeting in person had no effect on their business, and in some angle, they may be right. But this is only good for sometimes. When traveling and participating in conventions such as CPMA, you meet friends 
and people you already know. But you met new people that will become your friend eventually and will be populating your circle of influence. Meeting new peoples in person is like putting a seed in the ground, and the harvest will last for decades. So how long can we stay online? You know, there's, there's a limit of what you can do online. And even if the job made by CPMA and other association was fantastic to try to do a regroupment online, it has its limit. I'm a personal witness that you generally go towards people you already know when you are online versus when you are in person, you, you are mixed with so many peoples. And I was quickly, you know, calculating uh, through all my contact lists, and there's more than 1,000, and probably that over 80 to 90% of all of them comes from CPMA and other associations that we participate heavily. And how important that is to meet in person. It is so important. Now we're preparing for the first in-person CPMA convention in 2022 in Canada, and it will be right here in Montreal. So I'm really happy about that. What is really cool about it is once you do a convention every year, you have expectation from previous year. You have target from previous year. You have objective from previous year. Now, I haven't met in person for three years. We got a completely new slate. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun because we can focus on trying to do things a little bit different than having to deal with previous year's expectation and objective. So I think future is very nice. It's very cool. It can only get better. That's for sure. And I'm really excited to be in the driver's, driver's seat's position for the next convention. I obviously, uh, I'm the youngest guy of this group over here. That's, <laughs> I would just like to mention it, but, but it's okay. I'm not a past chair yet. I will be one day. But, you know, during the COVID year, we had had so much meeting in executive and like not biweekly, it was like every day. And I, I met so many peoples that I knew that I had to meet more deeply. And it's incredible how strong these uh, board members are. It's crazy. You can reach to any past chair and it's incredibly uh, participating, they, they, they jump in every conversation, every problems you had, you can go back to them. And we did in the past couple of years, we call several of them so many times and everybody's there. You know what? And I think Guy, you hit a couple key points there and, and it's exciting. You're right. It's a reset. And I think everyone is starting to sit there and realize it's a reset. And how do you leverage some of those existing relationships and build on them? Before we continue with our chairs, Let's take a break and have a word from our sponsor, Nature Fresh Farms. After the break, we'll continue the discussion and hear more views on what the current and future holds. Hi there, it's Sarah from Nature Fresh Farms. Sustainable agriculture is a vision that many people across the industry have been contributing to. And as purpose-driven consumers focus on companies' sustainability and social responsibility, it is imperative for companies to keep pace with this demand. That's why Nature Fresh Farms is always incorporating new eco-friendly alternatives to help lead our community to a greener future. For more information on our growing practices, visit www.naturefresh.ca slash sustainable-growing. I'm going to throw a question out to the entire group. I'm just asking any of the past chairs or, or Guy as a current chair to answer. And it comes back to what we're hearing about pace of change. And 
we keep hearing the words in the industry that we were able to pivot, we were able to adjust. You know, when we look at the temporary foreign worker challenges and how, you know, the Gore community uh, had to adapt and change and, you know, all of the added costs from PPE and it can go on and on and on. I can start with that. Um, I tell you something, in the past two years, we saw more change than the last 20 years. And it's not necessarily change that was uh, normal um, normal growth of the industry. They're changed to adapt to the existing situation. So luckily, people in the produce industries are people that are quick learner. They react quickly because that's their everyday life, everyday work, you know, to react to mother nature and to anything that can happen in this industry. So I think from all other industries, uh, no matter it's meat or grocery, uh, produce were the industry that adapt the fastest, but the change, incredible. Uh, we, we, Like I said, we saw more change in the past couple of years than in the last 20 years alone. Well, you know what, Guy, I was hearing 95% in some cases fulfillment rate at the uh, when we were at the peak of the pandemic. And that's pretty impressive from the retail side, but also from the uh, grower shipper side that we're able to meet the demands to get product through. Um, I want to talk a little bit more, guys. I'll throw the question out. Anyone else can uh, give their thoughts. You know, can we keep adapting and changing the way we are? Like he was saying, it's in our blood. You know, this is just what we do. But can we keep pace? Is there an expectation now that the produce industry should just keep going and changing and rapidly shifting? Hey, Ryan, it's Jim. Uh, you know, we need to continue to pivot and uh, and diversify and make our changes. We have to stay agile in our business because there's so many uh, things that are changing in our environment every day, packaging uh, issues, pallets issues. Uh, how are we managing all that? These are these are surprises that we didn't expect 24 months ago. You know, uh, struggling to find pallets uh, to load our products, uh, boxes that you used to order two, three weeks in advance now take six or eight. We, we, we continue to do that. And if you say, well, you know what, I can't change that quick, you get run over. It's just that simple. We, we got to keep changing at every every step of the way. And, you know, we also got to stay innovative. We got to be creative. We got to offer something new, something creative, same old, same old doesn't, doesn't cut it anymore. We got to be, you know, we got to keep it up, uh, you know, and everything we do every day, um, you know, offshore labor, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I've got situation myself, you know, we're, we're missing 20% of our guys because they're either still not here or they're, they're in quarantine. We're managing, it's not fun, you know, and, and, but, we got to keep going and tomorrow will be another surprise. I promise you, you know, lots going on. You know, Ron, this is, uh, this is Rick. I think uh, really interesting that's happened with this pandemic is usually industry continues to adapt and it adapts to changes and generally changes just morph. They're they're I won't say they're really slow, but they can be slow, but they seem really natural, you know, just like nine uh, 11 in the U S and how it changed so many protocols in so many areas of security and they were long lasting and everlasting and they haven't changed since. Uh, it's gonna be very interesting to see that as a result of COVID, what will be the residual effects on society, but even taking it to what all of us can relate to, and that is the consumer. We have had to adjust, pivot, move quickly because COVID changed very, very quickly, the life of everybody. And of course the consumer is in that group. So their behavior started changing. And because they are so important to us, we had to change quickly to adapt them. And I think over time, it's a great question. But yes, I agree with, with the gym 100%. We have to continue to be able to pivot 
and move quickly, slow down the pace, put it in a high gear. We have to be very mobile and flexible because we address the society and the consumer and things like this can happen that really keep us on our toes, if you will. Yeah, Ron, it's Walt. Just just to add to that too. And I think that, you know, a lot of companies had people working from home and had to pivot quickly to working at home. And, And I think the next, you know, next thing that's going to be out there is what is that flexible work schedule let when people are more places open up and people come back to work because people know that they can work at home and that's finding that happy balance now of working from home and working back in the office and and being safe. So we're going to be changing again for sure on that. You bring up a great point. You know what, Well, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the uh, food service industry and, you know, where and how are we going to see the market in Canada change? Because the Bank of Canada is saying, you know what, we're, we can see not the same growth. Actually, we did see some strong growth in different sectors uh, during the pandemic. Uh, we're going to expect, I think they're saying in 2021, a, a GDP growth of 6%, um, which, you know, isn't bad. 2022, just under 5%. But what's astounding compared to where we were during other recessions or even the Great Depression, we're seeing Canadian households holding about $108 billion over the last year. Like that works out to be just under $6,000 a, uh, a Canadian. Like at some point, do you guys feel this is going to transfer back into the market? And let's face it, Olean hit it on the head. People are eating more at home. They're enjoying food. How can we access some of that savings that people are just holding on and at some point may want to spend? What do you guys think? Well, hey, Ron, it's Walt again. I think one thing about all the people eating at home and trying new new things, I think the world's become a small place. So I think that in, in a way, I think people will be looking forward to getting out into restaurants, but I think they've also, and to Olin's point, they've been trying new and different things. And I think maybe the produce department will look a little different down the road. On that point, Olin, you being the one of the uh, retailers on the call, um, maybe I'll throw this to Mike and Olin. You know, do you see retail having to change? Is it a big shift coming down the pipe? I think retail is already changing towards that. Um, and it's because of what's available, what's becoming available. So if I look at the table with grape category, there are so many new varieties that are that are absolutely amazing uh, flavor-wise. And you know, if you don't take advantage of it, you're going to be left behind because the sales are clearly showing that customers are wanting a better tasting product and, or maybe they're not wanting it, but once they've had it, then the expectation is there and it's building. So I think most, most retailers are already starting down that path. I think we need to get better at it, to be honest with you, but I think they're already, it's in the works. So it's a good thing. Mike, as a, as a fairly large independent, but an independent nonetheless, how do you see it working within the independent market? Uh, I, I support uh, what Olina said, that the, the biggest concern that I have is the lack of willingness to try at some of the retails. And, the, and as Olene said, those that don't do are going to get left behind. And what concerns me is some of these, some of the retailers are going to be more concerned about their shrink factor than the new experience. So the consumer and, and many of them, uh, the chairs have spoken to, the consumer now has been trying all these different things. So now it used to be uh, a great experience to walk into a store and see something new. Now they walk into a store and they expect something new. Uh, 
and they want to give it a try. And those are the re those retailers that are a re little reluctant to do that. I think, uh, as Olin said, they're going to fall behind and they're going to they're going to pay that price because the consumer is what drives our business. So, yeah, I support what she said. Well, well, you know what, guys, and looking at the different channels um, with uh, online grocery and and all the new curbside pickup and even uh, from uh, restaurants, people just picking up, bringing it home. Like the data is showing now currently 73% of Canadians get their food from uh, grocery retailers. So does that have a potential for shifting as we move into the new normal? Are people going to be starting to look for Because we heard the big local drive. Everyone's looking for their maybe more farmer's markets or other new channels for getting their food. Is there is there a shift coming or will Canadians just fall back to their old habits, whether it's how they shop or whether it's how they consume. What are your thoughts? I think the shift is already happening. And um, and if we look at the, the, the data is one thing, and, and I think we just can look at our own behavior and people we know that. Um, I think all the things that are shipping out with the, the online um, produce or grocery uh, delivery with um, some of the demand for, you know, product like within like a couple of hours, you can either pick up at a store or deliver to your home. And, and these things, I think to, 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 to a, a big degree will stay, but at the same time, all the demand for local product, the demand for, um, uh, you know, supporting smaller regional farmers or growers, I, I feel they are all, these are all complementary to each other, not like mutually exclusive. I think sometimes when we think about, you know, can we support also, you know, both the, the local growers and also the global distributors, as well as some, you know, uh, a, a grower from far away that to Olin and Mike's point, you know, product nowadays are being available. A lot of them come from uh, different parts of the world by air so that the flavor is, is maintained and we are able to have access to more product and more variety and selections. So from, from our observations, both in the retail side and also for the food service side, um, the data and the numbers are very strong. Things are not going away, even things are coming back. And I think this is going to be just more beneficial. Uh, more people will have access to fresh produce one way or the other. And then they also hopefully will increase the consumptions. And I think this is actually very positive for our industry. And uh, Ron, I think the consumer has changed too. I think that over the last year and a half, I know just in my house, I mean, uh, we've cooked a lot more together. We've, uh, the kids have been baking. Uh, the kids have been uh, taking part in making meals. Uh, there's more time to make meals. So you're making better meals that taste better. And going to Aline's uh, point about having kids, uh, you know, try new things and, and such, um, you know, our kids have, have been, and I think a lot of families have been trying new things because they have more time, more time together. Uh, I'm hoping that stays um, because uh, I think a lot of uh, families have enjoyed that time together. I know our family has too. So I, I, I agree with what's being said. And you know what, I want to throw a question out and maybe uh, I'll throw this to couple individuals that are in, uh, let's call it the center of Canada. So in, in uh, Manitoba, in, in Alberta. So Prentice and Larry, do you see regionality playing a big factor? Because we always talk about Canada, but let's face it. We are a country represented by distinct provinces and they all have their unique attributes on what they want, how they want it. Is that changed during the pandemic moving forward? Are people in Manitoba looking for something a little different than what you can find in Quebec or in Alberta? 
Maybe I'll throw that to Prentice first and jump over to Larry. I don't think that there's a huge, huge difference. Uh, I think Alberta is a little different in some aspects in the fact that we don't grow a lot of our own. Well, I don't think we grow virtually no fruit. So when you when you say local, I guess you'd, you'd have to be talking about something from B.C., and of course, then that brings in whether whether uh, whether you think that's local or not, which is uh, a big debate always, right? Always a big debate, and uh, sometimes it depends on on what you think of their NDP government. Whether you you would prefer something from Washington State versus uh, BC, so there's lots of things that go into it. So it's. I, I was waiting ta- to see where the politics were going to come in, Prentice. You know, well, it, bit- <laughs> well if, if you're talking about beef, then you're talking about, yes, there is a market in Alberta that says we want Alberta beef, and yeah. or the, there are retailers that advertise that we only sell Alberta beef. But I don't see any of the retailers in Alberta saying we only sell BC fruit. Yeah. They may favor that fruit, but I don't think it's, it's nearly as uh, critical on the consumer's mind here, as it would be if you said, oh, we're going we're gonna to source our beef from California. That might not go over too well. So you know what, Prentice, let's build on that. I want to ask a question on brand then for our industry, because it's a time old question, you know, how important is the brand? And uh, Larry, you know, maybe I'll change the question for you a little bit and looking at the uniqueness of the regions. But, you know, when we're looking at brand equity, you know, does it play a big factor in our sector today? I think brand equity still plays a, uh, a factor to the companies and the consumer. And part of the brand equity is people realizing it's, in our case, for Manitoba or Western Canada. Um, but I, I think really people are looking for fruits and vegetables. Uh, they do want to buy local where it's available. Then they want to buy Canadian and then U.S. But I think people realize that it's important to eat more fruits and vegetables. And, and sure, they're comfortable with certain brands. And that, that's appreciated. Uh, but yeah, you want to get the brand out there. A lot of it's private label now, so you want to have quality out there and availability. So this has been an amazing discussion, guys. I want to go to our current chair, Gimilet, and ask you the question. And then I'll ask the rest of the group to uh, give their input. The future of the produce industry in one or two sentences. What do you think that is moving forward? Again, uh, come back to in-person, but the future is to try to find a little bit what everybody have talked today. Olin talked about, uh, you know, the taste uh, profile and flavor. That's so important. But also, we need to go back into variety of product that are, that are nice to eat. You know, for a long time, a lot of people have grown variety for, for the for for the quantities and for the yield, but, you know, consumer at the end of the day, when they, when they like what they eat, they, they eat more. And that's the bottom line. And it's nothing you don't invent the wheel here. It's been like this forever. No, I totally agree. You know what? Let's shoot out East out to uh, Halifax, the center of uh, Eastern Canada. Les, what are your thoughts? What does the future hold? Well, um, I think the future holds uh, a couple things. You know, I, when I go back to innovation, I think that, the, uh, the, the, not only the consumer, but also the companies that, that actually supply produce have to stay innovative. They have to stay, uh, and getting back to flavor, uh, you know, look for those flavors, figure out what the next flavor is going to be. 
everybody has to stay engaged with this to make sure that uh, you know consumption stays high or, or even great even goes higher um, but you know with with what Guy said and what Olin said about uh, freshness and what uh, flavor those are the things we have to really uh, look at and and stay innovative and stay you know make sure that uh, that we can deliver to the consumer the best tasting produce at, at a value that they can uh, they can appreciate why don't we shoot down to monterey california rick what's your future and it's not a it's not a manhattan rick <laughs> the future of the produce industry thank you uh it's the cherry in the manhattan no <laughs> I, I i believe you know i it was said earlier but i think how something like COVID has reset sort of the, our generation, and I'm talking about our younger generation who really wasn't too involved in cooking, didn't have much desire to do so. But truly, to do something like that at the age they are right now, to get them back into the kitchen, to explore new food, foods, to be with their families again, I think, and I'm hoping that the long-term benefit will be better eaters, pe- certainly more people supporting our industry, but also that uh, rather than, than buy a lot of manufactured food that's out there, that this whole, this whole natural uh, fruits, vegetables, and everything, how to, how to create meals, and that whole experience is going to stay with them because it was a positive experience. And, and I just go back to it's interesting because I don't think in, our, in the world we live in today, it, it would have to have been something like this to hit that reset button because it wasn't going to happen in the natural course of our fast-paced societies in life. So I'm very, very positive. And you know what, Rick, on that note, I'm curious to see how some of the convenience items change. I'm sure consumers are going to still can look for them, but are they to the same extent that we have seen for you know your, uh, your quick lunches at uh, pickup as you're running through the store so on? But that's a, another discussion. Olene, we're going to jump to Ontario. What are your thoughts on where the future goes? I think the future is absolutely stellar for the industry. I think we're moving in the right direction with regards to flavor. And I think less what you said about families cooking together. And I think, I think there's so many recipe opportunities out there for everyone, even if you don't know how to cook and they're making them so simple. And at the end of the day, simple is usually the best. You get the best flavor out of everything. If it's simply prepared, um, the only concern, and I hate to put a downer on this because everything's so positive, but I do believe the future is extremely bright, but the concern that I have is water. So when we talked about the, you know, and everyone having to pivot and stay on top of things, one of the things that we haven't discussed is how we're, we're having to look to different countries of origin and different areas within countries to make sure we try to get enough supply because of the concern about water for the future. So that's the, the one downer thing that I would mention. But I mean, I actually think the industry is at a pivotal point to use that word yet again, and it's all positive for the future. Apart from the fact that I'm slightly concerned about drought conditions. As Canada's buying power may not be the same as others around the world, what do Canadians and the Canadian produce industry need to do to be that preferred customer for you know, new sources of product in the event there are, you know, growing condition issues or uh, drought issues. Is there something special we need to do to make sure we have access to those products? I actually think we have the buying power in Canada. Canadians eat a lot of uh, fruits and vegetables. And I know that we're eating more than, no offense, Rick, some of our U.S. counterparts, 
because um, I can see the sales difference between the two countries that I have access to looking at. Um, so I think we do, as a country, have the buying power. I, I think we just need to be smart. We need to be out there um, figuring out where the next locations are that we need to move to. And it's finding the right growers too. And I think on the grow side, I think everyone's cognizant of where their, their struggles are and they're doing, they're doing it also. So you see different countries that are developing, for instance, Colombia is becoming much more of an entity. So the industry itself is, I think, driving part of that, Ron, to be honest with you, I think we're already kind of there. I think it'll continue. Did I answer that properly? No, that's great. Yeah. No, I think you're bang on. Relationships at the end come come through. Exactly. Doubt. I'll just add that. I, th- I think what Olin described is uh, so true from our experience. Even though Canada, in terms of total volume, may not be as, as big as some other countries, but we are very consistent as an importer. And um, and for a lot of the growers from around the world, we, we go in every year at a, at a similar time. We have programs set up. We have a lot of reliable retailers and distributors that uh, work fairly with, with those programs. So that that's important because every, every exporter around the world, they want to diversify uh, uh, regions, customer base, so that they can, you know, kind of deal with the different type of crops that they have. So I think we we serve, um, you know, a lot of growers well in, in that regard. And also the other thing is also our country. We don't grow a lot of products. So we have less restrictions on certain quarantine uh, from those uh, countries that may otherwise are not able to ship the product to countries that may have this similar type of product that, you know, worry about the pests or some other uh, residual issues that um, we are not as exposed to. So I think we, we are an important player in the market, even though we may not, you know, have the population to, uh, to support it. But overall, I, I see a very positive trend going forward. No, that's exciting. And that's great answers, guys. Let's go stay in Ontario. We'll head down to Western Ontario. Jim, what are your thoughts of where the future is going? It's a, it's a great, uh, great chance to, to, to speak of that exactly, Ron. Uh, Olene's point on water is such a concern that people don't realize. California's uh, getting the media coverage and it's it's going to be a real struggle for for folks like Rick and, and the other guys down there uh, but Mexico has its concerns and you know the it, that becomes political you know where the government controls the water and there's concern every day on on can they shut the tap off uh, you know literally um, you know up here in Canada you know we're trying to build greenhouses out and a lot of the greenhouses are sitting there on hold because we can't get access. We're right on the Great Lakes, but we don't have the infrastructure to support the water up here. So, what's that look like for us in the uh, in the in the future? You know, uh, packaging. You know, we're trying to make sure our food is safe, so we're building these packages to to protect our food and protect the the you know the amount of uh, human human touching of our product at the store level. So we build all this packaging, but now what do we do with the packaging? Uh, there's some really interesting moves as we look into the future on packaging that will be biodegradable, uh, plastics and different things. Uh, sat through a meeting yesterday that I was just overwhelmed with uh, that there's a there's a solution around the corner that's uh, you know that's that's interesting. Uh, the other biggest concern on on access to market. You know, and, and to talk on Davis's point, you know, like, why are we restricted to can't sending our tomatoes, can't send certain tomatoes at certain volumes or certain price, or maybe there's a concern on a virus that's on those tomatoes into the United States or, or uh, you know, Canada for that matter. You know, all these things, the government interventions, uh, Romaine coming into Canada, that's restricting us, you know, uh, but is that the solution that we get government involvement, uh, 
to to stop and restrict us to access the the uh, the supply of, of uh, produce to Canadians and and Americans for that matter. So, lots of things going on. I think you're going to see, and I, I can assure everybody on the call, five years from now, this this whole landscape will be completely different. It'll be different on on how we buy, what we buy, and where we buy it from. I think those, in, in my opinion, that, that would sum up what we. Guaranteed five years from now, it'd be a whole different different world out there. That's great. Maybe we can jump into uh, Saskatchewan. And uh, Mike, what are your uh, quick thoughts on where the future is going? Well, I agree with what, thanks, Ron. I agree with what everyone has said. Uh, the industry has a great future, but there are some concerns that are going to have to be addressed. Uh, but uh, I wanted to speak a bit to the association and its future and and one thing that's happened for me in the last few years is as more of my colleagues have become involved with the CPMA, uh, they come in and they, they sit through a meeting or, um, and they come out and they go, wow. Uh, and one of them that comes to mind is your, the plastic working group and of course, see Jim. Um, but they, they come out of there and they go, you know, you guys leave your guns at the door and you go in as an industry and you solve a problem. And, and that I think speaks volumes for what the CPMA leads uh, has for the future of this industry. Um, and it, it's just a, a really strong point that we can continue to build on, that we have such a strong association to represent us as we move into this, as Jim said, ever-changing future. Yeah, I totally agree. Let's go to uh, Manitoba right next door. Larry? Yes, I'm going to build on Mike's point. I mean, I, we have some challenges, no question whether it's growing or importing, there's always going to be challenges. And I, I agree with Jim in five years will be similar and different challenges, but I want to build on the, on the positive here. I think the success of our industry in the past and the success of our industry going forward is about all of us working together. Uh, as, as Mike was saying, on this call, we have customers, competitors, we all leave our, our other business at the door and all our members, all, all our listeners do. It's about working together and a business that is like no other. I don't know of any other business where people from different companies work together to build a business for everybody. And we sell a product that's good for you, as we mentioned earlier. There's no debate on that. Fruits and vegetables are good for you. Um, I've never met a person that doesn't eat fruits and vegetables. It's a great industry to be in. Do we have challenges? Absolutely. If we continue working together with our industry, a CPMA, it's a bright future. Thanks, Larry. Prentice. I think the produce industry has a, a huge future. I, I think the, the danger is that the consumer is getting further and further away from the farm and how to grow things and how they grow and where they come from. And I think the more that they the shift is to online shopping, the more critical it's going to be that the the supplier, the retailer, supply that consumer with the product that tastes great every day, all the time. And the danger of that is is the buyer that says, "Well, you know, we're on the we're in the we're in between seasons here, but I'll take this because that's all I can get." And then all of a sudden, that consumer is turned off because it isn't the product that she or he expected to get. And that's, I think, the, the biggest danger to the produce industry is not supplying what the consumer expects. And that's why people like, I'd say, 
Driscoll has been hugely successful because most of the time the consumer gets what they expect with his, that brand of berry. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, let's wrap it up going out West and we have Walt and then Davis will end things with you. So Walt, one quick one. What do you think? I think that the, the, the future is exciting. I think that if the young people have the passion that produce people have, I think it's, it's going to be nonstop. I think, when you talk to growers or anybody and you feel and see their passion and their hard work, that's got to continue in the industry. And I think it will. I think you're going to see some automation come. I think that labor down the road is going to be continue to be difficult. I think we learned a lot from COVID this year, how important it is. So I think you're going to see some automation come. Um, and I think that's going to be exciting too, but all in all, I think this business is, is, is people, this business is passion. And, um, I'm sort of excited for the future. Thanks. Davis. Yeah. I, I, I want to go on a more philosophical, you know, um, view on, on the, the, the future. I, I really hope that our association and the produce industry can bring people together and use food and produce as a conduit to bring, you know, different cultures together, different, different views together with all the things that are happening in the world now, a lot of issues and social justice issues and other things that if we can kind of spread our positive differences or inferences and making a healthy difference, not just with the product that we, we, we grow and we distribute, but also with um, the, the, the support system that we have created and being a critical part in the supply chain, being a critical part in, in advocating for, for everyone. And I really feel that, you know, kind of in my view, if we can bring that into the picture, in addition to all the wonderful things that we do in produce, that that will be a, a, a bright future for the next five, 10 years. Davis, I think that wraps it up really well. And you know what, I want to take this opportunity to thank our current chair, Gimilet, all the past chairs that have joined us on this episode. And most definitely, thank you to our listeners for listening in. I hope you enjoyed this special 100th episode. Until next time, fill half your plate with fruits and veggies. Continue to seek out new knowledge and never stop growing. <laughs>